Hello, welcome to Soma Stories, a podcast vessel for inquiry around the body hosted by me, Shami. Each episode gathers and weaves various perspectives around a related issue. Our hope is that this podcast will be a space for the practice of listening, an opening of headspace, and a regrounding of self. I became interested in this idea of the body as a healer, movement as medicine, when I worked with a movement artist, Isabel Poir, to make a film titled Lessons about intergenerational trauma. I had read Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps a Score, and it was transformative. And I've had a regular yoga and Pilates practice for a while that really helped me through anxious, depressive states. And unsurprisingly, the lockdowns. The first person I'm speaking to is Diana, a body-based practitioner from The Elemental Practice. For the first 20 minutes, she gives me a demo of what her somatic therapy session could look like. I lay horizontal, and she holds my head. Okay, so just in these first few moments, I just invite you to maybe close your eyes if you feel ready to. And to feel the support that's underneath you, under the back of your head, all the way down your spine, your arms, your legs, your feet. bringing awareness to your breath without needing to change anything at all about your breath. Just feeling it flow in and out through you. And just inviting yourself to come into a time and space that is just for you. A time and space where Whatever you're feeling, whatever is wanting to be expressed, is welcomed, just as it is. And my hands are going to be here to support you. And as we go along, you can always let me know. If there's anything you want to share with me verbally as well. So in a few moments, I'm going to be placing my hands on top of your shoulders. And just taking a few moments to let yourself mark my hands as safe and supportive. Just invite you to let me know how this touch is feeling for you. And I'm curious whether you have a sense of where in your body right now would really like to receive some touch. Maybe my temples? At your temples, okay. I'm going to put my hands right here. I'm curious if this location of my fingers feels supportive or it's making the weight a little more present for you. It's good. I feel supportive. Okay. 
I lay still under Diana's touch. It was too short a session to delve into deep, but what I was brought to was a keen sense of awareness around how each and every part of my body felt, the degrees of tension, ease, and everything in between. The meditative quality of it stayed with me, a moment of intention in the middle of the day. Hi, I'm Diana from The Elemental Practice, and in my work, I use touch, inquiry, and movement as a way to help people feel more at home in their body, to feel in a space of welcome with whatever expressions, both emotional or physical, that might show up, and to harness the wisdom of their body to guide them in their life in choosing and in living. There's an inherent connection between each of the different places of our body and they form a beautiful piece of music. And when there is a lot of static and a lot of white noise, it becomes very hard to discern that piece of music that's very clear and connected. Diana shares that she uses a mix of different tools in a toolbox such as craniosacral therapy, jinsen jiu body-mind centering, TRE, somatic movement, Feldenkrais, and more. But it is her fundamental belief in the building of safety and client autonomy that binds these approaches. This dominant belief in society that to push, to will, is the, is the thing, you know, rather than listening to our own innate rhythms of the body, school back then um, it was so so much focused in our mind like cultivating the mind how it thinks how it analyzes how to discern how to be efficient and the body was sort of relegated to the realm of PE maybe some level of body shaming uh, if you didn't quite fit the the correct mold and the body was also a place that you know you connected in with when you got sick Otherwise, it just continued to function and you really didn't think about it. In adulthood, in the workplace, there's such a culture of pushing. You know, like you have all these phrases in Singapore, right? It's like, I just dahan, I just dong, you know? And, and, and these are almost badges of pride. Like I stayed up all night and I got it done. You know, I could get it done. There's such a celebration of will and often that will is coming from the mind overriding the body's needs and I think this works in a shorter term but in the longer term the body and all of its impulses sometimes very basic impulses the need to sleep the need to go to the bathroom the need for water the need for food when all of these get overridden in pursuit of something that the will is demanding it, it can lead to a lot that shows up eventually on a very physical level, arising from that neglect. The overriding way in which massage is thought of is like the harder the better. I'm just going to grit my teeth and like get the deepest massage I can possibly get. And I think, you know, deep tissue massage has its place. But at the same time, one way I like to think about the body is that we already have so much stress 
coming from the outside in our life. And to me, it doesn't make sense to add another layer of that stress coming from the outside in when we're meant to use those sessions as an opportunity to soften into relaxation. I asked Ayana about what urban pandemic life has done to our bodies, and this is what she says. I think on a physical level, everybody's been working online if they've needed to work from home. And that often means remaining in one position for most of the day. You're not getting up and going to a meeting room, for instance, but you're sitting in that one shape. And our body and its and the way it helps us is it strengthens it strengthens our body's ability to remain in that shape. But what it means is when we come out of that shape, our tissues are still holding in that position. Right? And in particular the psoas muscle, which is deeply connected with our fight-flight nervous system response, is constantly engaged as we sit. And I think that's been um, an area that has shown up for many more people. Um, and the psoas connects into the spine at the same place as the diaphragm. And so the diaphragm has also maybe gotten a little bit more constricted. When, when the diaphragm's constricted, the breath is constricted. And our body's, our body's way of sensing whether we're safe or whether we're in danger arises both externally as well as internally. And whenever our breath is shallow, the body understands that to mean that we're in a state of stress. So even if this might be arising from the, our postural tension, which then leads to different constrictions, because 80% of the pathways go up into the brain from our sense organs, only 20% is the brain going down. So all of this information is being fed up to the brain and I think it does present with many more people feeling an anxiousness, whether or not that's from the postural shape they're in and the knock-on effects or whether it's from just the uncertainty of the times. That's something that I've noticed a lot more. To continually learn about the body's design and will is humbling, to say the least. I next speak to Chloe, who takes us through her client work. My name is Chloe Calderon Chotrani. I work mainly as a embodiment facilitator, a somatic practitioner, as well as a movement artist. I have ancestry... Um, in, from the Philippines and in India and here in Singapore. And yes, I'm based here in Singapore for now. Somatic practitioner. What exactly is a somatic practitioner? How does one practice it? To understand it, we need to understand the term somatics. It was coined in the 70s by American philosopher and movement therapist Thomas Hanna, but it had existed in ancient Asian movement disciplines such as yoga, qigong and tai chi, before emerging in some form at the turn of the 20th century among largely European modern dancers and dance therapists. Somatic practice is therefore a field within movement and bodywork studies that centers the mind-body connection. It comprises a variety of techniques, from yoga and pilates to tension release exercises and craniosacral therapy. 
Somatic therapy puts the body at the center. To compare it to many other forms of therapy, there's talk therapy, there's psychotherapy, psychotherapy approaches. Come at it from a rational and cognitive lens, which is a really important layer. But somatic therapy goes on a more embodied layer. I think a lot of trauma is felt. And sometimes the body expresses it either through anxiety or sometimes it's you know it it it, it shuts down or you know it, it it runs or you know it's on flight mode the body reacts first and then you don't even understand what has happened you're you're just in panic mode the body has a lot to say and somatic therapy listens to the story of the body and it integrates it with the mind or the cognitive and the rational side so that there's a stronger connection and integration between the body and the mind. Even the term mental health, just realize that it's so focused on the mind. Yeah, when health has so many layers, even a financial layer, right? Um, It's so much about like security, feeling safe in our bodies, feeling safe, you know, in the sit in the city for ex- even feeling safe financially or in work and relationships. It's so much beyond just a mentality. I asked Chloe what happens during a session. So usually people will come uh, with something they need help with Um, so we'll talk first and after that we'll hopefully get to kind of a root emotion and understand the source of that trauma which usually leads to childhood and certain attachment relationships when we were younger and then we'll invite that story onto a table basically I'll invite a client to lie down and I'll invite very gentle touch holds um, at the ankle or sometimes at the back of the head or in the sacrum and this experience is largely accessing the more sensorial space yeah so the more felt sense and from my perspective as a practitioner um, what I'm doing is because our hands have thousands of receptors and with my training in you know craniosacral therapy what I'm doing is I'm listening to the fluids in the body and we're also letting our nervous systems meet and our nervous systems you know make contact and say okay this is a safe relationship you know I can I can relax and I can rest um, and sometimes that takes a long time sometimes it takes a bit of a process um, for two people to resonate and to connect sometimes it's you know first session um, so it really depends on each person Um, yeah and through that process sometimes um, I'll respond to the body to see sometimes the body will brace there and then I'll invite a question. I'll basically invite the person to always check in with their bodies. Um, and the reason why we use the element of touch is because it touch, like if you think about 
an infant and an infant crying. And then the mother holds the infant. Immediately the infant is soothed. Yeah, because a nervous system sometimes needs to be held, especially an infant. It cannot regulate its own nervous system. It needs someone else to help co-regulate. So essentially, that's what we're doing. We're co-regulating um, and we're finding resonance with each other. Essentially, we're allowing ourselves to receive and be held. Um, and then after that, we'll talk about it and we'll see how to continue this process so that we can go deeper. Yeah, I think in Asian society and culture, we aren't really that, unfortunately, that encouraged to express how we're feeling, especially at home, you know, especially children. Like, you know, when you're angry, you're forced to, you know, calm down or keep quiet or, you know, just push it aside because you need to, you know, you have a test next week, better get your shit together. <laughs> it's that kind of demand. And so a lot of our coping mechanisms um, are to just function in Singapore especially, right? We're so good at functioning. <laughs> to function, to cope, these are band-aids to living, but hardly a reflection of how flourishing our lives can be. Next, I speak to Natalia Rachel, who had trained Chloe in somatic practice. She elaborates on the concepts underpinning their work. My name's Natalia Rachel. I'm the founder of Illuma Health here in Singapore. I'm a therapist, consultant, speaker, and educator. And my focus across all areas is to empower people to understand that a lot of what's happening that's discordant within us and the world around us stems from relationships and to also empower us to know that relationship can be the remedy to it all. So somatic means of the body, um, and somatic therapies are a relatively new field. When people talk about somatics, there can also be a confusion as to what that means. So a somatic therapy could be anything that's addressing the body from yoga to qigong um, to even a bodywork session. Uh, but when I talk about somatic therapy, I guess I'm including the awareness of a psychotherapeutic approach where we're talking about the connection between the mind and the body um, and how when we experience something difficult or traumatic, our body is really good at protecting us. So what it does is it hides the content that we don't have the capacity to process. It hides it in the right brain, which is connected to our felt sense and the story of the body. And then the left brain can just keep on going. Um, and so somatic therapy in a, in a more holistic mind-body sense is about addressing or accessing the right brain, the felt sense, the story of the body, and linking it back up to the left brain. So we have to find a way to create new pathways so our brain is communicating with our body because it kind of stops. And then relational is the other key piece of the way we work. Um, as I mentioned at the start of our chat, when it comes to relational trauma, the trauma has occurred in the context of a relationship. So I believe that the only way we can truly heal is within context of a safe, healthy, nurturing relationship. And so we adopt a relational approach to care. And there are so many layers to this. Um, so it's not only just about a safe relationship, but when we understand someone who's been traumatised, 
what the qualities of the harmful relationship were, we can actually work to counter them through our relationship. So that's the common question people have when they're coming. Why do I have these symptoms? What's wrong with me? And so by navigating the story, your practitioner is going to sort of help you to answer that question, even if just a little bit. Then the second part of the session is is body work on the table and we use gentle touch techniques um, they're derived from craniosacral therapy but they are not craniosacral therapy so because we know that so much of our story is hidden in the body something really beautiful emerges when we make space to connect from a non-verbal space so the practitioners are trained to use gentle touch to allow the client to feel safe enough to drop into that felt sense. Um, and different things happen on the table and every session is different. So clients might just feel, to start with, incredibly safe and nurtured, which can actually cause a sense of emotion. For some people, they've actually never felt that way. I've had a few clients say that the gentle touch is the closest thing they've experienced to what love is, which is both beautiful and devastating. Um, sometimes on the table, people do connect to other emotions like maybe anger or fear or confusion. The body often also wants to respond. So people might twitch or shake or there might be an experience of local or full body unwinding where the neck and head just want to unwind or the hands and toes want to splay and the practitioners are trained to notice what the body is wanting to do and invite it. When we have trauma, often we're disconnected from the impulses of our body. So they're kind of shut down and a good practitioner is going to be able to notice the impulse emerging and then suppressing and invite that to, to move through. Um, and sometimes we work with intentional trauma processing. So if we know for example, there's an abuse story and there's an emotion attached to it, we might actually find, well, where is that located in your body and can we invite a space for that to express and to integrate? Um, and integration is a really big part of the process. Um, we leave a lot of time for the body to, I guess, harmonise and find a sense of peace and integration before the session ends. And that's part of a trauma-informed approach, making sure that there's space for the body to feel really, really safe before the client leaves. Something that we offer both in the clinic and for people to take home is weighted blankets. Um, so when we wrap ourselves up in a weighted blanket, it's the closest thing to being held. So the, the weight and the touch from the blanket activates the parasympathetic nervous system and it's like being hugged. There are other things that we can do, like what I'm doing now. I mean, no one can see, but placing my arms across. Another great way to access touch when we don't have another human available is water. So to have a bath or a shower or if you're lucky enough to have a pool. So the connection on the skin um, can be applied in, in other ways. So we can access it, but not in the way that we really, really need. And that's part of why somatic therapy and touch work is growing right now because we, we need it all the time. But when we're either when we're going through development or we're going through hardship, we need, we need somatic connection. When we're born, when we're babies, the first thing we do in this world is receive full body touch. You know, if all goes to plan, the baby goes on the mother. And that's how it learns, I am safe here and I'm not alone here and I'm going to be okay. And so that's what we want to offer everybody. Somatic practice has such a wide range that it could be an entire podcast series in and of itself. For now, in the last part of this episode, I speak to Michelle 
a practitioner of tension release exercises known as TRE. Before our interview, Michelle gave me a demo of what a typical TRE session is like. She had me lie down with my knees up, but with my feet touching. As my knees lowered, they began to tremor uncontrollably. It was a foreign sensation, but I felt safe. After my body felt noticeably more relaxed, I asked Michelle about the origins of TRE. My name is Michelle, and um, I'm originally from the U.S., but I've lived in Singapore over 30 years. That was about 18 years ago that I became a coach, and I did a method called integral coaching. Integral coaching says we have to coach to the whole human being, so mind, body, and emotions. So the body part was where TRE came in. So TRE stands for Trauma or Tension Release Exercise. It's invented by a man named Dr. David Berselli, who's an American. And he's a trauma specialist as well as a body specialist. So the story goes, he was in a bomb shelter in, in Sudan. And he had two little boys on his, he, two little boys on his knees. And as the bombs came, he felt their bodies tremor and shake. And he just put his hand on the middle of their back to try to keep them calm. But they still shook, right? He didn't try to stop them from shaking, but he just wanted to make them feel that they were safe. But as he observed around the room, the kids were all shaking, but the adults weren't shaking. So later on, when they came out of the bomb shelter, he, he kind of talked to the adults, and he was curious. He says, Do you sh- you know, did you notice that the kids were shaking? You know, Yeah. Well, don't you shake? No, we can't let them see us shake. We can't let them make us, know, let, let the, anyone know that we're afraid. So actually, they almost, they knew that the that they had to be strong. So then that started to open up a question in his mind. Is it natural? Isn't it natural? Don't we all shake? Where does it get shut down? So so I, I said this to you while you were shaking. It's kind of like crying. Crying is good for us, but at some point we get messages to quit crying, to stop crying. And, and we probably all know people that say, I haven't cried in years, right? And we think, hmm, why is that? But why, why, why can they cry so freely as a child and then get to be an adult and you can't cry, right? So we shut down something so natural. So shaking's the same thing. So a lot of times when we first see TRE, we think about it on the physical plane. We think, oh, we're going to shake out the muscles and then that's, that's all. But actually, it's much deeper than that. It's interaction with the nervous system. So when we're talking about regulation, we're really talking about our nervous system and that response versus reaction, right? So many of us are leading, leading lives where we're very, very charged. Our sympathetic nervous system is highly charged, and we don't have a way to naturally come down and release it. So, so it's not how to stop it, not how to manage it, not how to control it, but how to regulate it and how to become sensitive to it. So an example would be someone says to you, 
I don't know why I got so angry. I just went from zero to a hundred in a second. But if we slow, if we slow down and we start working through the body, we actually have many signs that that explosion is going to happen. We have many signals in the body that tells us, "Hey, I'm getting worked up. Hey, you know, I'm feeling more tense. Hey, I'm." Uh, and and it isn't true that you can't know that you're going to explode. So if we think of this nervous system like a curve, uh, we go up the curve and we get more and more excited. Sometimes it happens very quickly, but if we can slow it down, then we can regulate that we don't have to go, we don't have to go to extreme anger. We dissociate from our body because if there's pain, but we don't want to stop and take care of that pain, we just we just ignore it, right? And sometimes it becomes habitual. Sometimes it becomes so much so that we can't feel anything in our body. So part of the role of a provider or or a trainer with a client in TRE is to provide a, an environment so that they can feel safe. But the problem is it isn't intellectual safety. It's does the body feel safe moving, expressing itself. When we when we start to allow our body to tremor, which we it, it did before, but we haven't let it do it for a long time, our brain wants to interfere sometimes. So we call it the ego, right? And the ego says, "Look, I've been in control, and you didn't need to shake. You've been in control. You've you've looked good. You've been steady." And so sometimes our body and our brain have a little bit of an argument during early days of TRE where the brain says, no, no, I don't want to let you shake. And the body says, yeah, yeah, I want to shake. The brain says, no, 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 I'm in charge. Eventually we get the brain to shut up and just let the body shake. But sometimes um, we find, when I said to you, sometimes there might be a little holding or, and it's, it's an unconscious resistance which is just because the body doesn't, doesn't recognize, like you said, this feels weird, feels strange, feels new, then, then the body doesn't feel safe, it's not going to let go. Right? But sometimes people sense a safety, they're not even aware what makes them safe. Right? With TRE, we say we don't need to know the story of what happened to someone. We just work with what shows up in the body. And similarly in cranial work, they're not asking you to tell their life story when they're holding. They're just sensing and getting your energy to flow freely through the spinal column and through the cranial work. Um, somatic experiencing is a very, very slow version of looking for where the, where the trauma shows up in the body and working with the body. Um, the advantage of TRE is it's self-administering and self-regulating. So you don't need a therapist to do it. And that was one of the things that David felt strongly about is he was a traditional trauma therapist. He'd go to war areas, natural disasters. There'd be 30,000 people and there'd be, you know, five therapists and how, how to serve the people, right? But with TRE, it's a one-to-many approach. I really like this line that Michelle said, we just work with what shows up in the body. There's no rationalizing, no overthinking, 
no textual cues already embedded with so many different meanings, just allowing your body and you to feel safe. I don't know exactly what this means for people who have ill bodies or dysphoria or dysmorphia, as with much healing, it is often very painful before it gets better. I'd like to end with a quote from Bessel van der Kolk that touches on a subject matter that's centred to my concerns. Agency starts with what scientists call interoception, our awareness of our subtle, sensory, body-based feelings. The greater the awareness, the greater our potential to control our lives. Knowing what we feel is the first step to knowing why we feel that way. Soma Stories is produced by Artway Studio in collaboration with Tell Your Children. If you enjoyed listening, continue to support us by subscribing and leaving us a positive review on your listening platform of choice. We've included the relevant links and they can be found on artwave.studio slash Soma Stories. In the next episode, we explore the natural environment and the body's position within this vast expanse. I will be speaking to musician and illustrator Anise and Ground Up Initiative volunteer and co-founder of Untamed Paths, Neo Xiaoyun. We're also including snippets from this episode's guest, Chloe Chutrani, whose bodywork is also connected to the earth. Thank you for listening and see you again.